WNYC. Good morning again, everyone. Now we continue our Oscar season series of interviews with the creators of the five Oscar-nominated feature-length documentaries. Some of you know we do this every year. While most other media focus on best actor or the big hit films, our attention goes to the documentaries. So far, we've heard about three of the films, Bobby Wine, The People's President, about an opposition leader in Uganda, Four Daughters, about a mother, her daughters, and ISIS in Tunisia, The Eternal Memory, about personal and societal remembering and forgetting in Chile, and today we turn to Ukraine and the film 20 Days in Mariupol with its director and narrator, Mr. Slav Chernov. This is perhaps the most difficult of the films to watch, giving us a front row seat on the ravages to buildings, bodies, and society from the invasion by Russia two years ago this very week. Chernov, a Ukrainian video journalist, was part of a small team sent to Mariupol by the Associated Press just before the invasion. They outlasted the other international journalists, and the footage they shot, snippets of which made news reports at the time, is the basis of the documentary. And it comes at a harrowing time for Ukraine, as we've been reporting on the station, with no end in sight for the war and further U.S. assistance at risk due to the impasse in Congress. Here's a bit from the trailer, about 30 seconds, mostly in English. Someone once told me, Wars don't start with explosions. They start with silence. Лично видим визуально. Танки зашли с надписью Z. Город Мариуполь блокирован со всех сторон. Russians have entered the city. The war has begun, and we have to tell its story. That was the voice of Mr. Slav Chernov, who joins us now from Los Angeles. Welcome back to WNYC. Congratulations on the nomination and on the win at last week's BAFTA Awards. For people who don't know, that's the British version of the Oscars, and you won Best Documentary there. Thank you so much, and thank you for inviting me. Maybe your first question <laughs> is, are you even able to enjoy that honor, or does it have to come with action in support of Ukraine on the ground for you to get a smile out of it. Um, it, it is a bittersweet feeling, and it was a bittersweet feeling all all the way uh, since uh, we premiered a year ago at the Sundance. But we are inviting people into the war zone, into to show important, but but not an easy not an easy story, and that's why every single recognition in this way is not just an honor for us and responsibility, but also a way to, to make sure that this film finds new audiences and that, that Mariupol is not forgotten. And this year is so amazing. All the contenders, all the films represent such important stories. And uh, I, uh, I'm i glad that the world is interested in, in, in actual and, and visceral storytelling by documentary filmmakers. Yes, uh, that in, inspires me films from many nations, which seem to uh, really define the Oscar documentary nominees this this year. The film goes chronologically from day one to day 20 when you get away. And on day one, you meet an older woman in the street 
near hysterics about what's happening and where she can go, and you reassure her that, quote, the Russians don't shoot civilians, and the rest of the film shows how wrong that assumption was. Was was that the attitude when it started, that they would target the uh, their attacks only on the Ukrainian military? Yeah, later I meet that woman and I have to apologize because her house was hit by a shell and she tells me about that and I really regret. We, at that time, we, we all really hoped for the best that uh, Russia will not be targeting civilian population. That's what they claimed, but that's the opposite to what we saw. And that's why uh, the reporting on that was so urgent and necessary, especially when Mariupol was cut off from all the connections and, and bombarded heavily. And then the maternity hospital got hit. So all that told us that this war will be much more violent than we hoped. And, you know, I think Ukrainians always thoughts that their neighbor is 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 bad to them but still will not be killing openly so many civilians and i think now in the world still there is uh there are some people who think russia will not do that to other countries but you know history shows otherwise history shows that uh, uh the violence is indiscriminate and uh, it's unstoppable and so many other cities got destroyed since uh, Mariupol has fallen, and before that was Aleppo and Grozny. So we see that this is a deliberate tactics, and this is a strategist Russia uses to on all the countries they invade. Listeners, I know some of you have seen 20 Days in Mariupol. If you want to ask the filmmaker, Mr. S- Mr. Uh, Chernoff, a question, we can take a few phone calls, 212-433. WNYC 212-433-9692, call or text. I mentioned that the film was hard to watch. It's quite visceral, literally showing the children killed in the shelling, the grief of their parents, the fear, and we see what made it into newscasts around the world versus so much more that you were recording and display some of in the film. Here's a moment from the film that demonstrates that after a particularly harrowing time, at a hospital, we hear what uh, your narration includes and then cut to some of the newscasts that picked up your reports. This runs about 50 seconds. The front line is closing in. We've sent all the photos and videos, notes to editors, graphic content. This is painful. This is painful to watch. But it must be painful to watch. In the port city of Mariupol, local officials say hundreds of casualties are now feared. A father lost in grief over the body of his 16-year-old son, Ilya. The electricity's gone. The internet's gone. The Russians are coming. Mariupol awaits its fate. So, Mr. Love, were you trying uh, to make a contrast there between, you know, how intense and uh, intense isn't even the word it was actually and the kind of smoothed over way that newscasts tend to present? I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was trying to make any contrast, but working as a conflict journalist for almost a decade in different countries, not only in Ukraine, but in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan and Gaza, I know that the 
even the biggest tragedies, they uh, they tend to get lost and forgotten in the sea of information that we are all surrounded with. And it is so important, especially in the age of misinformation and misinterpretation, uh, it's so the context is so important. And that's why this film exists, because it gives the audience much more context than they would see in one minute or two new, m- minute news pieces. Yeah. Uh, and it just allows us to see not only images on the screen, but to understand that these are the real people. This is a real pain. And, uh, you know, we we recently hear a lot about fatigue uh, from uh, from news from Ukraine and uh, for shifting attention. But I have to say, you know, especially when we you, when you see the film, you understand that, that again, these are real people. This is not a, a competition uh, for for attention. These are not TV series which are trying to get the rating. These right. these are real humanitarian catastrophes we are talking about. Yes, and so that child Ilya referred to in that clip, I'll just say he was playing soccer with friends, and they are shelled, and both his legs are blown off. And he dies at the hospital. And we see and hear his father wailing in grief, so painful to watch. Um, but it goes by so quickly in, in the news coverage and is smoothed over a little bit. Not that they have any bad intent, but I think there may be more, um, more than you can be in a documentary or more than you are required to be in a documentary um, trying to pay attention a little bit to what they consider watchable by a mass audience. Uh, and a fair yes. amount and we of see, the... And we see him, and we see him later being buried in a mass grave along with other children. That's also what is missing from the context of the news, and that is so devastating for us. Here's one more clip. You find a protector and a police officer named Vladimir who asked you to film a statement, including this, uh, that we'll hear in a second, a protector because you were worried about your own safety as a journalist once the war started. So Vladimir says this in English. Russian troops commit war crimes. Our family, our women, our children need help. Our people need help from international society. Please help Mariupol. I guess he thought that if the world saw what was happening, it would make a difference. Do you think it has? Um, it had. It had in a moment. I cannot say that uh, this film or this reporting, but I don't see it yet that it made an international impact as much as you know any journalist would hope. Things are going really bad right now. We see that Ukraine became a, a political topic, not not a humanitarian one. And but at that point, uh, the footage that now we know that at that point, the footage that we sent, the photos that we sent, that became a symbol of of tragedy of Mariupol and other cities. They have opened they helped to negotiate the green corridor the humanitarian corridor for for civilians that are that escaped the city eventually and we were uh, among those civilians so even if on a bigger scale it didn't have the impact that i would like it to uh, it at least saved some lives and helped some fe- people to find their loved ones and even if it's one life it's it was all worth it 
because well that's that what the journalism about is about something that is happening right now and about people who are who need attention right now yeah and i'd also like to ask about another facet of this war that you document the damage to society and the mistrust from the misinformation campaign and the overall lack of access to real information to the point that people you're speaking to ask who is doing the bombing yeah i think this is this is one of the important themes of our film and that is actually why we include some of the news reports to show the transformation from um from the real event into into what makes it to uh the, the big audiences and uh we see how jarring that difference is and uh it's 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 ups, it's upsetting but it's the mostly upsetting to to people who who live through these tragedies and who are then told by by propaganda that their tragedies are not real and uh, this was all fake and i guess we just have to accept that we live in this age of misinterpretations and we have to learn how to uh how to live with it and uh, we just have to make sure that the new generation uh, uh that the young people are educated enough to 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 find the truth among all these uh interpretations we have a few minutes listeners if you're just joining us a few minutes left with mr stuff chernov who has made the documentary 20 Days in Mariupol, one of the five nominated for Best Feature-Length Documentary at the Oscars, as we continue with our series interviewing the directors of all five of those films. You've covered other wars, I understand, as a journalist for the AP. Can you talk about the difference when it's in your language, when your country, when your family is at risk? Oh, yes, of course. Uh, every human tragedy, that's that's for sure. And I absolutely stand for that. Every human tragedy is equally important and uh, shouldn't be any selective empathy, as, as it's called. And we have to report on every single human being uh, losing their lives. But of course, when I'm in Ukraine, and for me, conflict journalism started from Ukraine in 2014 when Russia invaded Ukraine and annexed uh, its uh, territories. Uh, for me, it's much so much more personal because it's not only the cities, uh, just cities that are being bombed and and people being killed. Is also uh, I am part of this community. So th these are my neighbors. This is this is my family. And, you know, this is my childhood memories that are being destroyed by these bombs, not only a physical world, let's say, but also uh, the identity that uh, I, I grew up with. And that has much more impact. And then I have to put these emotions aside and make sure that we are reporting objectively and that we are, you know, hearing all the people. And it's because the journalism is so important now without journalism the modern society to your previous question the modern society is collapsing that's what we saw in mariupol as an example we were all cut off from the information and we saw how how the society crumbled of panic and how people didn't know what to believe so especially when you talk about your own country you want to make sure that you do everything possible uh to 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 help your people if, at, at least to be heard and to understand what's happening. And that's what motivates me, too. You, as a journalist, were documenting a war, 
for this film. I don't know if you get into policy conversations at all, but here's a question from a listener in a text message. They write, what is happening to the Ukrainian people is truly horrifying, but doesn't continuing the fighting just prolong this suffering? Perhaps there are dangerous geopolitical implications to letting Russia declare victory, but wouldn't it ultimately be better for the Ukrainian people than this endless war, asks this listener. Do you have any response to that, or you just say, that's not my topic? Uh, no, no, of course, of course I have response. A lot of Ukrainians think about it. And you know what? There are two answers to this. The first one is, uh, is we Ukrainians always wanted peace. And in 2014, when Russia, I just mentioned, annexed Crimea and violently took part of Donbass of, uh, and occupied it as well, uh, Ukrainians did try to sign the treaty with, with Russia and... Uh, in fact, Russia just, uh, let's say, not legalized, but at least uh, uh, de facto had control of Ukrainian territories and that the Ukrainians hoped that that will stop them. But we saw that uh, in few years, Russia gathered their forces and they attacked again. And that's what Ukrainians know for sure is will going to happen, is going to happen when, uh, if, if, they, if they accept that Russia annexes more more of the territories because russia clearly states if you look at russian news they clearly state like yesterday and before yesterday every day they state they want kiev they want odessa that's their plan so they don't even hide their intentions that they want whole ukraine to be part of russia uh and that's one and two I would say, imagine if Los Angeles, I'm now in Los Angeles, it's a city size of Mariupol. Uh, and just imagine for a second if Los Angeles got invaded by Russia and destroyed completely and and hundreds of children were killed and thousands of thousands of people and U.S. Army would fight, would fight Russia for every inch uh, of U.S. soil. And then the world would come around and say, hey, would you just give up California to Russia? It's, it's okay. You don't really need it. So would, wouldn't that be absurd? Would would U.S. citizens and U.S. Army stop fighting uh, uh, for for their land? I, I don't think so. I mean, there's so much patriotism, so much identity and pride in in uh, in, in America. So I, I I don't see how that happens to a nation who who protects their identity. I know you got to go in about thirty seconds. Uh, listener asks, "How are your daughters? They're mentioned a lot in the film." Hope they're doing mm. okay. Oh, thank you for that question. My my youngest daughter was seven months seven months old uh, when when Mariupol was happening, and I was really afraid I will not see them again. Um, they're safe, and uh, just just seeing them from time to time. I'm I'm spending most of the time in Ukraine, and of course I'm not I'm not with them. But you know, just thinking about them motivates me and uh, to to go forward and to to keep filming and to keep uh, making sure that the world knows about what's happening. Mr. Slav Chernoff, a video journalist with the Associated Press, the director of the Oscar-nominated feature documentary 20 Days in Mariupol. By the way, folks, it's airing tonight on PBS Frontline. Best of luck. Thank you for giving us some time. Thank you. Stay safe. 
And we have one more director to interview as we continue our annual series talking to the directors of the five feature-length documentaries nominated for the Oscar. We'll do that on tomorrow's show. More to come on today's show. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. Stay with us.